True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One-one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. It is Thursday, February 27th. Welcome to the show. It's Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Adam Azer. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Azer, A I Z E R. I'm with Scott White. You can follow him at CBS Scott White and Chris Towers at C Towers. CBS. Chris always has a strange Twitter name. What's it? No, it's just it's just Chris Towers right now. Oh, really? That's uh, disappointing. Yeah, yeah. It's just Chris Towers. It's got a picture of my face actually on it. So, uh, Ooh. you know, that's what we're going for now. We'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, it's early in spring training. I'll probably come up with some obscure indie band name to uh, to go with, but you know, not we, right now. We look forward to it. Now, we look forward to talking about starting pitcher. You know, we spend seven episodes previewing hitters, one on RP. I feel like we should spend like at least five on starting pitchers, but we'll only try for two. <laughs> but it is, you know, kind of half your team. Half your, it's, in a Roto League, it's, you don't spend as many spots on starting pitchers, but they get half your scoring. So does that make them more important, less important? We'll talk about it. We got some news and notes, and we actually did a Roto draft last night. I'm glad we did it because I want to talk about how we structured our pitching staffs. So you know how it works. The first part, of the preview is more strategy and talking about kind of the aces, the studs, the second part, which will be tomorrow is going to be more of an ADP review. And I'm sure we'll finish up with some late round guys on the Monday show. Uh, let's though, let's talk Joe Carlos Stanton here. Unbe- like unbelievable. It, unbelievable. <laughs> Scott, when should Giancarlo Stanton be drafted? He's going to miss the start of the season with a calf strain. All right. Well, it's, it's easy to overreact to this because he's Giancarlo Stanton and like, you know, this, this, here we go again is the mentality, right? But it's worth noting it's a grade one calf strain. The calf strain I got all hot and bothered about for Francisco Lindor last year was, I think, a grade two. It was worse than this. And he obviously ended up coming back sooner than expected, had, had a great year. I, I think it's, it's, he won't be ready for opening day, but he should be ready soon after that. So, Maybe he should fall a round or two. He actually fell four rounds in that mock draft we did last night. He went in round nine instead of the usual round five. Probably in part because Chris wasn't in it. But, <laughs> but I even was. so, that seemed like good value. I can draw a comparison to Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw had a shoulder injury in spring training. He didn't make his first start until April 15th. Very easy to say... <laughs> not taking Clayton Kershaw. The guy's always hurt, and he's already injured. And he didn't miss the start. Once he once he got going, April 15th, tax day, he started the whole season. He was the number 10 starting pitcher in points, number 11 in Roto. So you're right. You can't overreact. At the same time, remember last year, Stanton would make progress, then a new injury would pop up, and yeah. you know it just kept on happening. So yeah. round 10, is that that's where you're thinking when you start looking at Stanton? Yeah, I mean, like, what you're saying about how injuries kept popping up for Stanton, I don't think the fact that he's starting out with a calf injury changes the likelihood of that. Uh, If you believe that's something that comes with the territory for Stanton, then it it does regardless of whether or not he suffered this calf injury. So it's not a a reason to downgrade him further because of that, if that makes sense. So, Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I was I was getting all geared up to take him in round nine, and he didn't quite make it to my pick. Uh, it, 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 it was good value. Like, I'm sorry. It's objectively stupid that Giancarlo Stanton went in the ninth round. Why? Like I, he's a top twenty-five player if healthy. You're already baking in injury risk. Like I'm assuming he went behind Jorge Soler, right? Oh yeah, I, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Would you like to know how many times Jorge Soler has played more than 125 games in his entire career? I'm guessing once. Last season. Do you know how many times Jordan Alvarez has played more than 90 games in his career? Well, he's That's ridiculous. Once. He's had half, ridiculous. A, he's had half a season of a career. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is well, like no, <laughs> he's, he's been a professional for three years. I know, but their seasons aren't as long in the minors. Right, but he didn't play full seasons in the minors either. Because Do you know how many times Miguel Sano has played more than 125 well, games? Stanton goes ahead well, of Sano, and you're right about Sano. Did he in, that, last did night, he in that one? Yes. Okay. He's better than all of those guys. Like, Jordan Alvarez, he might be better. So That's this had the no one effect you could on say you? might be better. This had no effect like, on you, Chris? I mean, my assumption, I wrote the reaction for CBSSports.com last night, and I kind of got a little philosophical about recency bias and the in- impact of injuries and, and all that. And my assumption is he'll be between 90 and 100 in ADP once it settles. I would guess that's what it's going to look like. And I think he's an obvious buy there. Okay. Uh, let's fire he through. He didn't miss a single game with injury in 2017 or 2018. But he did play hurt in September of 2018, and he was horrible. And he played almost zero games last year. I mean, very, very limited games. Mm-hmm. He played pretty well. But uh, all right, so let's uh, let's fire through the rest of the notes so we can get to these starting pitchers. Is there anything that really jumps out? You let me know. The Brewers sign relief pitcher Freddie Peralta to a five-year deal worth fifteen point five million dollars. Griffin Canning's going to have an MRI on his elbow. I think that's oh, someone. Yeah, I know that's someone you like, Scotty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll wait and see. Jimmy Nelson, Dodgers starting pitcher, he's being shut down with lower body discomfort. So probably not going to make the opening day rotation. What is the opening day rotation looking like right now for the Dodgers? You've got Kershaw and Bueller, obviously, and you got who else? It, it seems like it's names. set, actually. Okay, like they, Alex Wood. It, obviously, uh, yeah, Bueller, Kershaw, uh, David Price. Oh, Julio guy. Arias. And then the one spot that seems up for grabs, Alex Wood has been saying he's been given assurances it's his. Like he wouldn't have signed with the Dodgers if he wasn't given those assurances. So Yeah. Uh, and I think Andrew Friedman has gone on the record multiple times as saying Julio Arias is in the rotation. Yeah. Okay. So James Paxton could start throwing around March 5th. Right now it's February 27th. So about a little bit more than a week. No surprise. I took James Paxton in our draft last night. 13th round, about the end of the 13th round, right after Luke Weaver and before Carlos Martinez. So was uh, was happy with that pick. He might only miss a month, maybe a little bit more than a month. Well, considering the season starts so early, I guess I'm thinking like a month from April 1st. Let's say early May, potentially for Paxton. Chris Sale is going to start the season on the IL. That's not a surprise. It's because of the pneumonia. Hopefully he'll be back early. Eugenio Suarez began light throwing. Don't overreact to that injury. He could be back pretty soon. Eugenio Suarez and Brandon Nimmo, the most serious news of the day. He's gonna. He has a heart issue. Uh, he's gonna have that checked out. We should get an update tonight. Played some left field. Played some center field. We'll see what happens with Brandon Nimmo. Um, I just. I mean, I always feel bad talking about this stuff, but that could help JD Davis get into the lineup. Starting pitcher. Here's a weird stat. What do you make of this? So there's no like concrete way to rank players, uh, not in terms of how you li- how much you like them, but where they finished in a roto league in like a five by five league. It's a, it's there's a subjective formula on CBS, right? But they rank everyone in 2019. There were only two starting pitchers that were in the top 35 among all overall players. They were Verlander and Cole. And they were like really high up. They may have been top five overall players. Jacob yeah, I DeGrom, think one was one was one and one was uh, three or four. Yeah. So they're top five. Jacob Degrom was thirty sixth. I don't know what to make of that, <laughs> but pretty interesting. And and in points leagues, like they blew away the competition too. Uh, in 
the two Astros guys, one former Astro, Cole and Verlander. Yeah, yeah. and that's I you know, one thing I was thinking was you know, maybe the formula is based because that's all black boxed. We don't really have access to that ourselves. Maybe that formula is based on previous year's data and not that year's data, but I'm looking at what I did based on uh, actual results from 2019 uh, in CBSSports.com Roto Leagues. And yeah, Justin Verlander was worth 20 and a quarter standing points. Uh, Garrett Cole was worth 19.5. And then Jacob deGrom was worth 14.4. There was a massive gap between it's those wins. two guys. It's wins, right? I mean, the uh, wins are. Yeah, that was a big part of it with deGrom, although. We can't like he led the National League in strikeouts and he had 45 fewer than Justin Verlander and 71 fewer than Garrett Cole. They they both had ER whips under one or under point nine. Nobody else was below point nine seven. They were just. A lot, a lot better than everyone else. I'd be curious to see Eduardo Rodriguez because he had 19 wins. But he was the number 26 pitcher. Okay. Uh, and yeah, like a third of his value came from uh, wins. Well, Actually, I, half of his value came I from I guess I just was, wanted to know if that stat, sorry to cut you off, that stat, only two starting pitchers in the top 35 meant that it doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, it doesn't change how no, I it draft. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything to me either because it's it's more about... Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know enough about the formula to really have a great comment on it, I guess. But it it's it's about relative value versus um, yeah, o- overall impact, uh, overall production, I guess. Yeah, I, I've got Degrom as the number twenty seven player, so it's a little less extreme than that, but still, um. Yeah, I mean, their that gap was there. Degrom was awesome. Two forty three RA, point nine seven WHIP, two hundred fifty five strikeouts. But yes, only eleven wins. And J- Justin Verlander had twenty one. Garrett Cole had twenty. So, starting pitching, you know, I think it's sort of becoming about identifying how many aces there are and how many you want in that group, and you know how early you got to get them. So, Scott, how many aces are there in fantasy? How do you even define an ace? <laughs> well, loosely, I define it as somebody with the capacity for 200 innings and 200 strikeouts. Now, Eduardo Rodriguez met both of those thresholds last year, and I wouldn't consider him an ace, but, you know, there's an exception to every rule, right? Uh, it, it's... I kind of broke... I, I wrote a starting pitcher strategy piece where I broke down the whole position, basically, and I subdivided all of the these categories and it it came down to pitchers who were aces last year and pitchers who weren't aces last year but you know we still think of them as aces and then pitchers who are very close to being aces and those three groups added up to 38 players actually it would now be 37 if you remove Luis Severino from the group which you need to do because he's not going to pitch this year so yeah 37 is what I'm what I'm calling kind of the the ace tier in a broader sense. It sounds like a big number. So yep. what does that mean if you take the number 37 player, which would be Zach Allen, something like that, mm-hmm. versus the num the versus Walker Bueller? Like they're in the same general ace tier, but they're obviously not the same. They're going to go well. They're going to go yeah. rounds apart. So what does that mean when you're lumping them in the same group? Uh, the, the, the biggest thing it means is, is assurance, right? Like um, predictability. You have a better concept of what that, that what Bueller's going to give you will be legitimately ace-like. Although starting pitcher being what it is and all the risks associated with it, you don't have as much assurance as, as if, you, if you were comparing between hitters, let's say. So that would be the biggest thing. Uh, and it's more I, I make the group that large more because of how bad the rest of the position is comparatively than 
how Gallen relates to Bueller legitimately. It's it's basically I want I want those thirty seven pitchers, and then there's about fifteen that I can live with after that, and then beyond that's just garbage. <laughs> it's not garbage. There's a lot of good players there. We just you know it's they haven't, I think that's they haven't shown they're good yet. <laughs> I think this is an unnecessarily confusing way to define ace. Okay. Like you clearly would not be okay with Zach Allen as your number one starting pitcher. No. Ace kind of needs to mean someone you'd be comfortable with as your number one, right? Well, I think he could be a number one. Right, right. But that's not, but that's not, we're talking about aces on draft day. Well, how do you draft, I guess? You know, how many of those top 37 do you want? How many of the top 15 do you want? How, you know, how do you draft? I, I feel like starting pitcher is too volatile to draft a guy and say, this will definitively be my number one pitcher. It's more like I'm drafting four who could be, and we'll see who ends up being number one. Okay. So can you can you do this? Can you fill in the blank? I want to draft blank of my top blank starting pitchers. I want to draft four of my top 37 starting pitchers. I've drafted as many as six before. Woo! And have you been okay with those? Have you liked those teams? Yes. I've I've yet to come out of a draft saying, man, I wish I didn't go so heavy on starting pitcher because I really don't like the way my hitting looks. Okay. Very interesting. And does your strategy change in f- different formats? Well, the emphasis is greater in a in a points league, sure. Uh, that's that's more where I'm more likely to draft six of the thirty seven because there are so there are fewer hitter spots to fill mm-hmm. and because the impact of starting pitcher is greater because the the two start week um is more significant and it, it can make it can it can net you a win that's banked forever when obviously over the course of a full season in a roto league that sort of thing's going going to even out um so yeah i would i would go even heavier after starting pitcher because um the hitter pool you don't doesn't you don't end up going as deep into the hitter pool. Let me ask you one more question and then I'll get Chris in on this. You said four of your top thirty seven at minimum. But how is that structured? Like two top twelve? You know what I mean? It how, depends how on where that? I'm drafting and what's available. I, I I don't there isn't a group that I just consciously exclude. Like if if I'm picking in the middle of round one, there's a very good chance I'm taking Garrett Cole. If I'm picking at the end of round one, there's a very good chance I'm taking Verlander or DeGrom. Um, the bulk of it seems to be made up of that. I, I usually end up grabbing two from kind of the next sub tier, which would include Bueller, Flaherty, Strasburg, Bieber. Uh, I would put Castillo and Lucas Giolito in there, Patrick Corbin, all the way through Charlie Morton, basically. Zach Granke's in there. I, I usually end up grabbing two from that group, and sometimes they're my number one and number two. Sometimes, well, I guess if I if I get if I got like a Cole in, in round one, I probably wouldn't end up getting two from this group. But yeah, okay. they're they're usually my one and two or my two and three. Or sorry, they're usually <laughs> they're usually my one and two or one of them is my two. I'm really enjoying the debate Scott is having with himself while trying to work through this. <laughs> what do you mean? You keep like contradicting yourself or going, actually, no, it's, it's very entertaining. <laughs> but I think it does. Like, I think this kind of sums up what starting pitcher is, which is really, really difficult to figure out and really, really difficult to draft. It's difficult. I, I think that there is a pretty big difference between the top four and all the other aces, Cole, yeah. Verlander, DeGrom, Scherzer. And Sale, we've seen, can be them if he's healthy. Uh, I, you know, I just, I think, like last night in the Roto draft, I wouldn't do this in a points league, but I did it in a Roto league. I took Cole in round one, ninth overall, I think, and Scherzer in round two. And then I kind of chilled a little bit with pitching. And I sort of said, I'm going to draft. I drafted Josh Hader. I, as soon as I got them, I said, I have to take Josh Hader. Because at this point, you, when you're talking about these guys, if they can throw more than 200 innings, they are going to give you unbelievable ERAs, and they're going to be great in whip, and they're going to potentially have 300 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. So you you get these two guys as your anchor, and I drafted more starting pitchers. I drafted Zach Allen. I drafted James Paxton. I don't remember who else. 
but I, I was I had four closers. I want to win saves, whip, and ERA. I think if you take two of those top four in a roto league and then get Josh Hader and high and maybe another high end reliever and some more saves, I think you can do that. Of course, they have to stay healthy, but no guts, no glory. And that's that's the thing is one of the things that makes that top four stand out is by my count, there are nine pitchers who have pitched like an ace in each of the last two seasons. Uh, I would say those top four, Cole, DeGrom, Verlander, Scherzer. I'll throw in Walker Bueller there. The The workload wasn't there in 2018, but it was close enough, and it was mostly because he was a prospect. Um, Patrick Corbin, Clayton Kershaw, Charlie Morton, and Zach Greinke. And I think that's it. I think that's the entire list of guys who have pitched in the range of a number one uh, starting pitcher over the last two seasons. That makes those four guys stand out. I think it makes the other five guys probably better values than than they sometimes get credit for, especially Morton and Greinke. Um, but that top four is also old, with the exception of Garrett Cole. Like DeGrom, I think, is 32. I don't consider Might, him old, though. 31. He doesn't have a lot. I, I, I'm more interested in innings than age. And DeGrom sure, really doesn't have a least, lot. Sure, but he's at least... If DeGrom falls off this year, would it shock you? Yeah. Given the fact that it, he's 31? It, I mean, yeah. The, it shouldn't. It would. 31, it, 31 still seems pretty young for Verlander's a starting pitcher. 37. I mean, these guys... I mean, right, but that's... Verlander and Scherzer are anomalies of all anomalies. I you're think, not supposed to be that good when you're that. Yeah, no, I. but there's a big difference and Verlander, there. Verlander started to look mortal when he was around DeGrom's age, and then he went to the Astros and somehow became no, the best pitcher alive. Not entirely true. He he was he in 2017 before the trade of the Astros, like the 10 starts leading up to the trade, he had already turned his season slash career around. And he had been pitching hurt. So if DeGrom starts I mean, getting hurt, then it'd be one thing. But he's showing no signs of slipping up. He's actually compared to go uh to Cole and Verlander, he's a better ground ball pitcher. I, I was on a podcast with Ariel Cohen and he said he would take DeGrom number one. Um, I couldn't because, like you said, Chris, he had 70 fewer strikeouts than Garrett Cole, and the strikeout rate, Cole, Verlander, DeGrom, DeGrom's just not quite there. He's really, really good. He's not quite Cole and Verlander, but no, I, I have no concerns with him. Scott, those but, top... But like, yeah. but that's kind of a historical. Like, Justin Verlander had a 454 ERA when he was 31. He's hurt. Then he had a 338 the next year, but he only pitched 133 innings. We were definitely worried. He had a lot that more. Justin Verlander's time as wear. an ace was done. No, I'm, a lot okay. more wear on the arm than than the Grom. Okay. The Grom's okay. This is like his sixth season we're, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, we're just gonna pretend that 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 wasn't true. But well, I, but I'm I'm telling you the you difference. The, aren't you the guy who ignores Nelson Cruz being 39? I mean, don't you say that's not really anything to worry about? Why are you worried? Oh, about? I'm not. I'm not ignoring it. We are. We're factoring it in with Nelson Cruz. We're not doing it with these guys. And I'm not saying we should, mm. but I'm saying there is inherent risk. They're pitchers sure. over the age of 30. And in Verlander, yeah. it's more of a, a case with Verlander and Scherzer because yeah. they're in their late 30s. Right. But And Scherzer is the one I worry about most because he was dealing with back issues. He was dealing with yeah. neck issues at the end of last year. Like those those are indicators that maybe he's starting to break down. I mean, he's already defying the odds. You're right. right. I mean, Verlander could totally drop off a cliff this year, but there's so much risk is so inherent at starting yes. pitcher anyway, that it's like, am I really going to be when he was that far ahead of everybody, but Garrett Cole last year, am I really going to right. make no, that I'm, the reason I'm not I pass actually, I'm not actually arguing those guys should be like faded. I'm just saying, it needs to be taken into consideration. We have yeah. to talk about the fact that all three of those guys, and really Cole switching teams, going away from the Astros, going to a, a worse environment for a fly ball pitcher, mm -hmm. could also drop off too. Yep, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, they all have risk. I Just final thought, just so I can win the argument. Justin Verlander had about 670 more innings pitched before his age 31 season than Jacob DeGrom Right, was. he also hadn't had Tommy John surgery. Nah, that's not, that's a, big not a big part deal. of why Jacob Degrom has. That's but that, that was well. How long ago was that? Come on, you're living in the past, buddy. <laughs> All right, uh, you know the, the it's kind as risky as starting pitcher is. You look at the leaderboard year after year, and it's not like a total grab bag. I mean, there it's there it's a fairly consistent you know, compared to the other positions. Five of the top twelve in ADP last year finished 
in the top 12. 11 of the top 20 in ADP finished in the top 20. It's sort of comparable to the other positions. I, I really didn't find as I was doing that exercise, ADP versus draft finish, that starting pitcher was less reliable than the other positions. Um, for example, 11 of the top 20 outfielders in ADP finished top 20 and 11 of the top 20 starting pitchers. Uh, so, you know, Mike Gianella has, has done some rap. good research on this where he, I, he went beyond just top twenties, uh, in terms of how likely players at certain positions are to, um, live up to their, to where they were taken. And he found that starting pitcher has become actually one of the best at that. Interesting. All right. So is there, I haven't really been doing a good job steering this conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to say about starting pitcher? I mean, Scott, you are going into overdrive with starting pitcher this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I was trending this way over the past few years since the first spike in home runs midway through 2016 season. Right. Uh, it, it was, it was becoming apparent to me that, uh, that we needed to value these guys more relative to hitters. Um, and for a number of factors, I don't know if I want to get into all of them here, but it, it, obviously the the uh, additional spike in home runs last year with the lower seamed baseballs just made things ridiculous. Where there, there really isn't a middle class at starting pitcher anymore, and maybe it'll come back some if the ball changes, but we don't need to get into that discussion again. We have no idea if it's going to and how it would change. And that that's just a total wild card that I didn't would be difficult to account for. So I see it as there are some of the most talented pitchers ever to play the game right now, because, you know, science and, and uh, workout programs have become so advanced. Like these guys are at the top are some of the most talented pitchers the game has ever seen. And, then the ones who aren't quite at that level are the ones who are just getting bludgeoned by home runs. So it's created this huge gap. There's also an innings gap that's contributing to that, where the pitchers that are best are also the ones most often asked to pitch a third time through the order. Um, and the, the marginal ones aren't being asked to do that as often. So that, that creates an, that, that stretches the gap even wider. Yeah. It's just, if you're not, paying up at starting pitcher you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to put together a competitive staff on the fly with like waiver claims it's just it's just not going to happen and scott said four of his top 37 but he also talked about you know getting two fairly early you don't want to have i don't think you want to go like oh okay walker bueller is my first starting pitcher now i'm going to take some hitters and now my next three starting pitchers are Jose Barrios, Lance Lynn, and Zach Wheeler. Bam, I got four of the top 37. That's probably too weak, right? Would you guys agree with that? You probably want a better number two guy. Uh, probably. I, I don't think it's untenable. I, it could work out for you, but it's... Like, I, I have seen I've seen people come out of the draft with worse, worse pitching staffs than that, right? I mean, you're talking sure. a 12-team, and we're talking 37 pitchers. Not everybody's going to get four of those 37. So it could be worse. You're at least giving yourself a fighting chance. But I agree, it's it's not ideal. I kind of want three of Scott's top 22, which ends at Darvish. After that, Bauer, Woodruff, Sonny Gray, Soroka. Ooh, I got some I got some troubling trends when it comes to Mike Soroka. Barrios, Kluber, Montas, Lynn, Otani, Carrasco, that's a guy I'm targeting, Ryu, Wheeler, Bumgarner, Gallen, Arias. Free. See, like, that's... Yeah. Uh, I part just, of it is... I, don't, I probably only want one of those guys on my team if I can help it. Go ahead. Part of it was the specific guys that you mentioned as those two, three, and four. Like, if it's it was what, Lance Lynn, Jose Barrios, and some other Wheeler? Just guy? Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. Yeah, if I'm waiting at starting pitcher, I'm probably not going to pick three guys who I don't view as having the upside to break into the ace tier. Now, who are you going to pick? So if then? I was going to if I was going to do that, it would be guys like Corey Kluber, who's going 27th at starting pitcher, Carlos Carrasco, maybe even Brandon Woodruff. I don't like him very much, but at least there's potential. Frankie Montas is another guy. Max Fried, Zach Gallen. I'm talking those kind of guys where if if I'm not going starting pitcher super early, 
I don't think I see much value in going for the guy I'm hoping goes 190 innings with a 370 ERA, you know? Yeah, right. I would say Lance Lynn, though, does have the potential to break into that ace tier. He basically was an ace for the final five months of last year. He finished seventh among starting pitchers in both innings and strikeouts with... I just, I have to cop to not understanding Lance Lynn and just, I, I don't think he's that good, despite the evidence suggesting that he is that good. And so I just have to, I'm probably just wrong about Lance Lynn and I'm just not going to draft him. And it's probably to my own detriment. (laughs) He's definitely a serious case. I I love getting him as the number four of that group because he was 240 something strikeouts last year. And and that's like your last chance probably to get a huge strikeout total because even the upside guys that come after him probably just aren't going to get the innings to get that many strikeouts. And he's going in the 11th round. So, yeah, I, I think he's mm-hmm. great there. Sonny Gray had a 199 ERA in his last 16 starts. Mm-hmm. 120, stri- 120 strikeouts and 99 and a third. That's crazy for Sonny Gray because even when he was great, he was like seven and a half strikeouts per nine, uh, which should give a little inspiration to Mike Soroka. The problem I have with Soroka is you just look at the pitchers in the last few seasons who have been top 30 in ERA and had less than eight strikeouts per inning. Almost all of them had a higher ERA the next season. Many of them had more than a run higher the next season. And a lot of them were just crappy pitchers. Like Yoli Shasin and uh, Kyle Freeland and Brett Anderson, who I think this past year, uh, Andrew Kashner, Irvin Santana, Alex Cobb, Zach Davies, Mike Fires. It's a bad group. Third Top 30 pitcher. Less than and eight he's strikeouts. Than he's better, guys. but he is he better but than Miles not, Michaelis? And this is yeah. What, I think the thing with Mike Soroka that I've struggled with every time I'm like putting together my list of busts is ten years ago he would have been an obvious bust because he probably gets drafted as a top fifteen starting pitcher coming off a season like that at his age. Uh, at twenty six or twenty seven, wherever he is, it's a little harder to justify because yeah, he doesn't have upside, but he. He does feel relatively safe, like in a three six three seven ERA, pretty good whip kind of way. I just, I can't see him taking the leap he needs to to make for strikeouts to be a top fifteen starter. Uh, but I think he's fairly safe. Yeah, I'm not ruling out him developing into a strikeout pitcher. I'm obviously not counting on it, but he's 22 and is already so advanced. Like I, I could totally see him. Um, just figuring out a way to manipulate his arsenal so that those come around. But I, the, the main things he has going for him are elite control and elite ground ball rate. So it's the other two legs of the FIP triangle. It's like, it's like he's uh, Hyunjin Ryu, but a dozen years younger. And with, um, you know, still a question ultimately what, what form his upside takes. Reminds me a little bit of Marcus Stroman, who's had a really nice career, hasn't quite reached fantasy ace. And his and his numbers have bounced around all around exactly. And you know what? A lot of the guys that that in 2017 had a good ERA and a low K rate were really bad in 2018. Some of them actually bounced back fairly nicely in 2019. You wonder if that's kind of a trend, just some inconsistency, bad luck, more balls in play. Uh, hey, do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? Yeah, well, the SeatGeek app is going to take care of that. This, these seats, uh, these sites, they don't care. They're annoying. They don't have the events you want. That's the status quo. They make it difficult for you. But how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? Well, SeatGeek cares. SeatGeek proves there's a better way. They got millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee. A price match guarantee. How great is that? You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. All right, so what is SeatGeek? If you're new to the podcast, you don't know about SeatGeek, you're crazy. I've got it on my phone every single time, every time I need to go to an event. I am just looking for the event on my phone. They grade every ticket based on value, so you can see the best bang for your buck, basically. I have found the prices on SeatGeek to just be better than the competition, it's all I need. It's all I use. You got a little interactive seat map. You've got these dots on the map. The big green dots are the best values. You click on those tickets, you buy them. And if you want to save some money, use the promo code FANTASY on your first purchase. You get 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. So listen, I've gone to 
basically every type of concerts, concerts. I've been to a theater. I've been to, oh man, baseball, football, NBA, college basketball, college football, all with SeatGeek. Get on there, use the app, and use the promo code FANTASY for 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, the promo code is FANTASY on the SeatGeek app for 10 bucks off your first purchase. Let's get to sleepers, breakouts, and busts in just a second. But first, some starting pitch. Let's just talk about the aces, just the aces, whether it's top 37 or however you wanted to find it. Who are the guys you find yourself drafting often? Chris? Zach Allen, Frankie Montas, Hyunjin Ryu, and uh, Charlie Morton. Okay, so kind of in the back end and then maybe Morton in the middle of that group. Zach Allen, Frankie Motos, Hyunjin Ryu, and Charlie Morton. No concern. Any concerns about Ryu going to the Blue Jays? No, not really. I, I think they're like he's not going to throw a lot of innings, but he never does. The defense will probably be worse behind him. The starting the supporting cast in terms of the offense will be worse behind him, but you're not paying face value for for Hyunjin Ryu. And that's that's where it becomes pretty easy to draft him. He's the 32nd starting pitcher off the board right now, 116th overall. I drafted him as my number five starting pitcher in a recent draft, and what I, I don't see downside there with him. Okay, Scott, who are some ace starting pitchers you often draft? Well, I think Chris said Corbin. I end up doing it too. I don't Chris think did he not quite... say Corbin. He said Morton. Corbin. I I will say I I I said Morton, but Corbin is absolutely one of my favorite players in that second tier. Yeah, he doesn't seem to get the credit he deserves, even though he's done it now two years over, and doesn't have any obvious risk factors. So I end up with him a lot. Usually, he's my number one or number two. I end up with Shane Bieber a lot because. It seems like some of the fantasy analyst community is soured on him. For, for, I will say, reasons. I don't <laughs> know if they're good or bad yet. What are the but reasons? But there are real reasons to be concerned about Shane. He just gets crushed when he gives up contact. Mm. Like, he is legitimately bad when he gives up contact, and I think he was probably a little bit lucky uh, last season to not have a worse ERA. His expected Woba on contact was like 407 or something really, really crazy. Uh, he does get a lot of strikeouts. Or he did last year. Um, he, his strikeout rate wasn't quite that good the year before, and I think there are reasons to be concerned about whether it will be that good again if, it's, if it slides a little bit. I, I think there's the potential for him to be more of a high threes ERA guy than his current draft price indicates. He probably has the highest innings upside of any pitcher. I mean, I guess you'd have to put Justin Verlander ahead just because of track record, but Verlander's age is working against him there. So Bieber's at least up there with Verlander in terms of innings upside, I feel like. That's the Terry Francona way. So, okay, so Corbin, Shane Bieber, who else? Uh, I seem to get Lucas Giolito a lot. He was dealing with a little bit of a rib cage situation, or I guess he still is here early in spring training. Hasn't made a start yet, but it doesn't sound like it's going to impact his availability for the start of the year. And uh, really liked his strikeout potential. I, I get Sonny Gray a lot. So, uh, that's, like that's you, cool. Sonny Gray, yeah. I, I, let me just say, like, it, it is very funny. Lucas Giolito is a top 20 starting pitcher off the board, 18th. He had the the worst ERA among qualified starting pitchers in 2018. <laughs> the yeah. worst ERA. That is amazing. And it could go really wrong. I think we're going to know really, really early whether Lucas Giolito is going to be the same guy from 2019 or... If he's going to regress, and I, I think we're well, if we might velocity's know. down, yeah, man. That's because there was a big jump in velocity last year. There was his changeup became a lot more effective. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it hinges on that. But you know, there's there's downside to everybody in this group. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it seems like Sonny Gray tends to go a round or two later than pitchers who I regard similarly, like. 
you Darvish's second half, obviously Jack Flaherty's second half, he goes way early. But I feel like those have gotten a lot of attention in terms of how drastically they turn their season around. Sonny Gray was right there with them. You, you mentioned it earlier in the show, Adam. He had a sub two ERA over his final three months. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And the strikeout rate was the highest it's ever been. And he's kind of like Lance Lynn in that I don't totally know how to explain it, but it was just, it's just, it was too dramatic to ignore. Yeah, and look, the value seems right for him. Getting away from Yankee Stadium was obviously a big deal. They apparently, what was it, his slider or whatever, they wanted him to use it differently. Than, they wanted him to throw strikes yep. with it instead of him using it as a put-away pitch. His ERA in Yankee Stadium, both in 2017 and 2018, was just really bad. You wonder if it was a confidence thing. You can't really explain how he transformed himself to a strikeout pitcher, I guess. But Right, I, I know a, he wasn't happy with how the, the Yankees instructed him to... Uh, you know, his pitch selection. Yeah. He didn't like what they did with him there. It's He could just be in a better place. I, I think I wish it had been a little bit more consistent because his first 15 starts are really nothing special. I think an ERA over four and was it barely had any quality starts. He had a 403 ERA and he averaged five about five innings per start, four quality starts in his first 15 starts. So, you know, I wish it had been a little bit more consistent for Sonny Gray, but it's just you don't get that, unfortunately. Uh, all right, so Chris goes after Zach Gowan, Frankie Motas, Junjin Ryu, Charlie Morton. They both like Patrick Corbin. Scott likes Shane Bieber um, and Lucas G. Not that he likes it, that he drafts them a lot. Shane Bieber. I get Bieber, them a lot, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's likes more like all. I like them relative to the masses. Lucas Giolito and Sonny Gray. I, I find myself just being really nervous about pitchers i kind of like walker bueller and jack flaherty i'd i'd be happy to have one of them as my ace early round three late round two something like that i i think bueller bueller has the best chance of that and this isn't exactly saying much because he's the number five starting pitcher off the board but i think he has the best chance outside of that top four to be on their level like he his secondary stuff and his command is so good that it I actually think there's there's room for him to go away from his fastball. I think he was actually one of the highest fastball usage starting pitchers in baseball last yes, year. Yes, he doesn't have a huge arsenal, actually, Walker Bueller. He well, he's well, got he a did, five he pitch arsenal. It. He just doesn't use it right. that way. And uh, I think that's one way he can take a massive step forward in strikeouts because he really does have command of all five of those pitches. Who's got a better chance of being that great elite? Walker Bueller, or when he's healthy, Mike Clevenger. In other words, if Clevenger were not going to start the year on the IL, who would you draft first, Bueller or Clevenger? I had Clevenger ahead of him, ahead of Bueller. Obviously, I don't anymore. Yeah, he, he was so Clevenger good last was year. That last year. <laughs> he was so good. <laughs> and his velocity went up, too. All right, so who are we rarely drafting then? Uh, who are some guys, Scott, I'll start with you, that you just, eh, I'm going to let someone else take them. Chris Paddock. People seem to reach for Chris Paddock. They're assuming he will have an ace workload this year. And look, there aren't supposed to be any restrictions on him, so he very well could. But some pitchers just aren't capable of handling that, and we never know until we see them do it, especially a guy with his injury history. Add the fact that he's a fly ball pitcher, that he really only has two pitches right now, uh, that he dramatically... I shouldn't say dramatically, but he definitely outperformed his XFIP last year. And I feel like people are just a little too sanguine on Chris Paddock and his potential downside. Okay. All right. Sanguine. First, probably the first time we've had that word on the show. Who else uh, are you <laughs> skipping? Paddock? Anyone else? You don't have to have anyone else. Um, and, and by the way, there, there, of course, would come a point where I'm happy to take Chris Paddock. It's just some people seem so eager to take him. I uh, I don't end up drafting a lot of Clayton Kershaw. Yep, not taking him. Although I did last night, so it it happens sometimes. Right, it's always it's always about value. I'm I'm he had an eighty four percent strand rate, career high. He's really good, but his ERA has gone up like three years in a row. First time is over three since his rookie season. Yeah, it just doesn't compare yeah. to these other guys in terms of strikeouts anymore. <laughs> But right. like his ERA has gone up three years in a row. That like he was, I know. Started, it started below two. I, two know, I know. No, I know. his ERA his ERA has gone up four years in a row. 
it started at 169. <laughs> so like it, it was low threes last year, right? Like ERA 303. It's more durability and just strikeout upside that, that the reasons I pass over Kershaw. He struggled down the stretch. He had 446 ERA in his last seven starts. He he was okay in the playoffs, but that's him. You know, then he gave up. Then he came in in relief. He gave up the two home runs. Um, his velocity is declining. He had a career high hard contact rate each of the last two seasons. I just don't really want to take Clayton Kershaw. I'll be wrong about him if I have to be wrong about him. Uh, Chris, who do you avoid? There's a 0% chance I'll draft Steven Strasburg this year. I just, you're drafting him at his absolute upside, his absolute peak value. There's just, I don't see any reason to take Steven Strasburg when Patrick Corbin's available a round and a half later on average. You look at what they've done what over the last What if you want both, two, Chris? What if you want both? I don't want Strasburg. Well, is the thing. Let's say you want a pitcher in the range Strasburg is going. Who do you take instead? Flaherty. Uh, I don't take anyone in that range, really. I, okay. I guess I would. So you don't I, take a pitcher till round three, usually, is what you're saying. Unless, no, no, no. unless you can get Garrett Cole or Strasburg or, or Scherzer or uh, I've drafted a lot of Scherzer this year. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, my, my strategy has generally been to take one of the top four. And then if I do that, I'll usually wait until like the fifth round. Um, and okay. it, I just, it feels like that second tier of pitchers is being pushed up a little bit. Um, and let me say who they, they let me just, say who it is. Let's have a conversation yeah. about this. Okay. So Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, Verlander, Scherzer, and then Walker Bueller, just three yep. picks after Scherzer. Are you okay? Are and you those, okay? those five guys are part of that n- group of nine who I, Right. pointed to earlier have been ace quality each of the last two seasons. Okay, then and you know, I agree. It gets a I think if you have to use a second or it would be a third round pick on these guys, I I would be a little nervous to do it. Except yeah, there's I really not like, another guy. I really like Flaherty, but Strasburg, Flaherty, Bieber, Sale, Snell, Clevenger. That's the next group. That's round three basically. Strasburg, Flaherty, Bieber, Sale, Snell, Clevenger. I'm most likely to take Snell out of that group, I think. Uh, I don't think there was really any diminishment in stuff or skill last year. I think he got as unlucky in 2019 as he got lucky in 2018. Um, The concern with him is he had elbow surgery last year, although it wasn't like a ligamental issue. And um, he's just never done the ace workload. Even when he was amazing in 2018, he didn't have the ace workload. That's the knock against him. Here, so here's it was Flaherty, the, Bieber, Snail, Snell, you said, Adam? It was Strasburg, Flaherty, Bieber, Sale, Snell, Clevenger. Okay. Okay, I understand you're most likely to take Snell because he goes second to last of that group, Chris. But where would mm-hmm. you rank Snell? If, if it was a pitcher-only draft, where would you put Snell? I think he is the second most talented out of that group. Uh, only behind Chris Sale. And so, yeah, I, I think, boy, I might rank him first out of that group. I mean, if you're willing to wait a few weeks, like Mike's, uh, uh, Mike Clevenger might be back second or third week of April. So maybe you're waiting three to four weeks. Yeah, the thing for me is just with him, with Flaherty, with Bieber to a slightly lesser extent and those guys have all only done it really with Clevenger and Flaherty they've only really pitched at like the top 10 level for part of one season I would well, have Clevenger to disagree. was pretty close in 2018 he was right? really good in 2018 but he wasn't yeah. being drafted like this he wasn't viewed as an ace people were skeptical of him uh, heading yeah, into and last I don't year, agree with you another step forward I don't agree with you on Flaherty his first 25 starts of 2018 25 starts he had a 286 ERA and 168 strikeouts in 138 and a third his last three starts he had an 853 ERA and he finished with a 334 ERA. He just fell apart in his okay, final three. Okay, you can season. you can actually make a case that Flaherty's been yeah an ace for two years in a row. That that's fair. Yeah, put him in that group. There's ten. Uh, okay, yeah. but Snell, it's crazy. This is a this is a raise philosophy plus a Snell thing. He doesn't pitch deep into games. His strikeout mm-hmm. rate will, will make up for it. But since he went on the IL in his 2018 season. 
So he he pitched great. Then he went on the IL and he came back. And he didn't really go deep into games. Since that point, through his elbow surgery in 2009, Blake Snell made 31 snart, start snarts. 31 starts. He went six or more innings in half of them, in 16 of them. That's not that's not good. He went seven or more innings in two of his last 31 starts, and he has not thrown more than 105 pitches in. Uh, no, one time. He threw more than 105 pitches one time. You know what happened after that start when he threw 109 pitches? He had elbow surgery. So I I love Snell on a per-pitch, yeah. per-inning basis, but you should not expect more than six innings per start, honestly. Yeah, a little bit more. I'm, hoping, I'm hoping for 180 innings. And just yeah. that he'll be like just below that top four in terms of quality per inning to make up. That's the biggest risk factor for me, for Snell, and it's just... He has. He seems to have more risk factors. I understand the upside is uh, probably second of that group to sale. I agree with that. But there are so many risk factors with him that he, I push him to the bottom of that group. How about uh, just so same thing here with Glass now? By the way, one start of more than ninety-two pitches so far uh, with twenty-three starts with Tampa Bay. Twenty-three starts. He's thrown a hundred pitches once. So uh, just kind of what they do. Maybe they'll turn him loose. I don't know. Morton gets a little bit longer of a leash, but not much. What do you think about Chris Sale? I said this yesterday. He is, to me, the most confusing player. The velocity wasn't quite as good. He's going to miss opening day. We know that because of pneumonia. But he also had the PRP injection in his elbow in August. He's been battling injuries. The strikeout rate is still incredible. He's less of a fastball pitcher now. There's so much to analyze with, with Chris Sale. And what is he, like the 12th pitcher off the board? No, the 9th pitcher, pardon me. ninth pitcher, 34th overall. Scott, how confident are you in sale? And then I want you to rank that group in the round three. Strasburg, Flaherty, Bieber, Sale, Snell, Clevenger. My confidence has waned a little over the course of the offseason. I think it's, I've just come to appreciate some of what, the pitchers that go around him, some of some of the ways they succeed. And and obviously the the late start to spring training for Chris Sale because of the bout with pneumonia is not is not bolstering my confidence. But the 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 biggest, I think most telling stat for Chris Sale is that he was third in XFIP last year behind Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer. Yeah, uh, but XFIP assumes a relatively stable uh, quality of contact allowed is the thing. And he was really bad in that regard last year. Okay. <laughs> was it, was it, who's going to talk? Was it a lot? Was it front loaded? Cause April was just bad, obviously. I, I don't consistent? know. So the three years prior to 2018, his expected Wobon contact was right around 370. In 2018, it was 341. 2019, it was 407, which was right around that Shane Bieber mark that I was talking about earlier. Now, he limited contact relatively well, but in his case, he needs to pitch better than he did last year. Like He had a career-high exit velocity allowed, career-high hard hit rate allowed. Um, he went from being elite at pretty much everything you could do to being elite at one thing to, I guess, control. Control and strikeouts. It's just a guy, he, who miss, a guy who misses bats like that, though. I'm I'm always going to bet on this. Is he had he made 26 starts last year? 25. It wasn't a 25. full season. Obviously, he got shut down early. He had the second most double digit swinging. He had the second most double digit strikeout games of any starter, despite having a much lower start total to work with. Yeah, it was a bad April. As Scott mentioned, 8.50 ERA for sale. Next 11 starts, he had a 2.24 ERA, 15% swinging strike rate, 116 Ks in 72 and a third. Looked like he was back. Then his last 10 starts, Chris Sale had a 5.84 ERA. So to finish this discussion, we'll move on to sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Scott, how are you ranking Strasburg, Flaherty, Bieber, Sale, Snell, Clevenger? <laughs> Okay, a lot of different things going on for these pitchers. I go Bieber because I've had to drop Clevenger and and Sale behind him. So I go Bieber, Bieber one, Flaherty two, Strasburg three, then Sale, Snell, Clevenger, 
because it's it's just hard to know exactly what the timetable is for Clevenger. Okay, but uh, it, and look, it's also hard to know how he's going to respond from knee surgery. But if he were healthy, there were no injuries, he'd be a top group, right? Yes, for me, yes. Okay, sleepers, breakouts, and busts. I think we spent a good chunk talking about the aces. We'll go through ADP tomorrow. Uh, Scott, you can go first. Who's your favorite sleeper starting pitcher? My favorite sleeper starting pitcher. Well, I might have said Griffin Canning before <laughs> that, before learning that his elbow is getting examined. So I'm going to stay away from that one for right now. Um, and I'm going to say my favorite is Adrian Hauser. Just getting pretty deep into the player pool. But because he is relief pitcher eligible, even in even in like a head-to-head points league, he's probably still getting drafted. He has the sort of skill set that I think allows pitchers to thrive in this environment where home run prevention is so critical, elite ground ball tendencies. He would have ranked ahead of Mike Soroka in that regard. Uh, he would have been... Uh, actually, actually, it would have been right up there around Marcus Stroman. He would have been 19th in XFIP if he had had the innings to qualify last year, ahead of notables like Zach Greinke and Aaron Nola and, and Mike Soroka. He had a strikeout, more than a strikeout per inning, so he's at least good enough in that area. He he stands out more than like a Soroka or Marcus Stroman does to think that the upside might be at least comparable, if not a little better. And uh, over his final 12 starts last year, which were also his final 12 appearances, I believe. He had a 328 ERA, 109 whip, 9.8 strikeouts per nine. Now, he got pulled pretty early from those starts. He spent part of the year in relief, so I don't think they were ready to give him a full starter's workload yet. But I'm hopeful now that with him being a fixture in the rotation going into the year, Adrian Hauser is somebody who we can count on to go Six plus innings from time to time. Mm-hmm. We got to see if he uh, can do it. Yeah, because yeah. he, he really stunk third time through the order, but it wasn't that many opportunities. But he had 364 opponents batting average uh, for Adrian Hauser of the Brewers. That's third time through the order. Overall, though, very encouraging stuff for Adrian Hauser. Chris, who's your favorite sleeper? Oh, so many, Adam. There's so many of oh, them. Okay. How deep do you want to go? Let's go care. super deep. Josh James. This dude was unhittable last year. Now, he couldn't find the strike zone, 13.2% walk rate, but he was in the top 2 percentile in the league in strikeout rate. He was in the top 7 percentile in ex-WOBA, top 1% ex-slug, top 1% in ex-batting average, top 10% in barrel rate allowed. He was absolutely ridiculous. He looks like he has the inside track currently to be the Astros' fifth starter. He throws 97 miles an hour. His whiff rate on his slider and changeup last year were above 50%, which is just absolutely unbelievable. Um, He could be a top 30 pitcher next year. There are going to be innings concerns. He dealt with injuries last year. He was a reliever last year, although he was a starter in the minors before that. But he's got absolutely ridiculous stuff. Josh James of the Astros. Okay, my favorite sleeper right now, I mean, I was surprised he went after pick 200. I took him last night in the draft was Brendan McKay. Who would you guys, how would you guys rank Brendan McKay, Josh James, and Adrian Hauser? I'm putting McKay last to that group. Obviously, there's upside. He's a top 10 prospect. Doesn't have the upside those two guys do, I think. Yeah, I wonder about his strikeout potential against major leaguers because he doesn't seem to have a put-away pitch. Great control and all of that. And he do- he's he's the least likely to have a rotation spot of those three going into yeah. the season. The last person that doesn't use Vibrate on planet Earth. Uh, <laughs> I, I would never see your text, Adam, if I used Vibrate. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. It wasn't my text. Day. Be like, oh, Adam texted me. All right, so McKay's last. Who's first, Hauser or James? Uh... I have Hauser first, but if if James wins the job and he wins it in convincing fashion this spring, then I, he could absolutely be somebody who shoots up my rankings. Let's do breakouts. Chris, and Scott always takes your breakout, you can go first. I mean, we don't... There, there should be no surprise. It's Zach Allen. <laughs> I think there are three... There are three starting pitcher breakouts in roughly the same... Uh, 
cost range on draft day between 125, 120 and 140, who I really like. Zach Allen, Frankie Montas, and Jesus Lazardo. But Gallon's my favorite of them. Four pitch mix. Excellent command. We're actually going to be publishing uh, that Aces metric. Oh, cool. Uh, that we talked about last year. Yeah, that should be going up on Sportsline tomorrow. We'll have a column on CBS Sports about that. And one of the factors in Aces is the command, which is a proprietary stat that uh, Stats Inc. came up with. And you'll see Eno Saris reference a lot. I think he's got a piece coming out on The Athletic soon about it. And Zach Allen is elite, elite when it comes to command. And I think it's pretty much across the board with all four of his pitches. He's got a deep arsenal. Uh, I really, really love Zach Allen. I think he could be a top 15 starting pitcher this year. Scott, favorite breakout? I might have taken that if Chris didn't go first. See? Yeah, see? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say Max Freed. I find I'm not drafting him a lot because I don't think the idea of him being a breakout is, is a novel one. but. To put it out there for the listeners who aren't as ingrained in this sort of thing as other fantasy analysts, he was obviously a good strikeout pitcher last year. 173 and 165 and two-thirds is 25th in swinging strike rate among qualifiers. So that's pretty good. He was a ground ball machine. He was top five in terms of getting ground balls. And when you when you're putting the ball on the ground and missing bats, I mean, those are the best ways to counter the home run explosion we've seen across the league. And it's reflected in the XFIP, which would have been the ninth best. Well, I think he did qualify, actually. So he had the ninth best XFIP in baseball ahead of both Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty. So mm. 402 ERA is what he actually ended up with. What did he deserve? I think potentially a lot lower than that. And what and what could really be a game changer for him, if you see reports this spring that he's working on a changeup, that he's excited about his changeup, that he used a changeup a lot in a spring start or something like that, that that could be a game changer for him if he develops that pitch. He says it's something he wanted to work on. The Braves brought in Cole Hamels, the left-hander who maybe throws the best changeup of, of the last 15 years among left-handers. And uh, Freed has talked about picking Hamill's brain on that pitch. Uh, one area where Freed fell short was against opposite-handed hitters, and obviously the changeup exists primarily as a, a way to neutralize uh, the impact mm. of those opposite-handed hitters. So that that could be a game changer for Freed. Yeah, that's so. Max Freed for Scott, Zach Gallon for Chris, and Freed it, just what a new pitch can do for you. You Darvish, his splitter. He'd actually been pretty bad against lefties. 2017, 2018, and and he said he didn't have confidence to throw his splitter against lefties, but he changed the grip on his splitter. This is you, Darvish, I'm talking about, and uh, he just he, he that splitter really is what changed the season for you, Darvish. Looking forward to talking about him tomorrow. 2.76 ERA in his last 13 starts. All right, how bold, about a, what? Go ahead. Bold prediction for the Braves: Max Fried's better than Mike Soroka this year. Yeah, I his whip is could be scary because he gets so many ground balls, but. Uh, like it was pretty bad last year, but maybe I like I. I mean, I was the, like the king of the Max Freed fan club, and everybody's like, "Nah, he's not that good." And you're falling behind. I guess so. All right, who's gonna be a bust? The jester Scott, finish the show, guys, with the biggest bust from the starting pitcher position. Okay, so the starting pitcher who concerns me the most, who I fear is just going to bottom out and no longer be a great fantasy option, is Madison Baumgartner. Okay. He's not a San Francisco anymore. And based on his home away splits from the last two years, that could be a problem. Last year, it was 293 ERA on the at home versus 529 on the road. The year before, 163 at home versus 497 on the road. Um, yeah, obviously, the stuff, the strikeout rate, it's it's it hasn't been the same since that dirt bike accident early in 2017. He did actually have a better swinging strike rate last year than the previous two, but it's not like he had a huge strikeout rate. And again, the road numbers were terrible. So going from that pitcher-friendly environment to a a more neutral one could be what ultimately dooms Madison Bumgarner. 
You're talking about Mason Saunders, right? I was consciously not making that joke because I feel like it's overplayed at this point, but that's fine. Go we on. haven't made it on this podcast. Okay. Now's your chance. Chris, who's the biggest bust? Oh, boy. The The pitcher with the most bust potential is probably Justin Verlander. The most likely to bust out of the ace tier is probably Steven Strasburg at his cost. Mason Saunders, by the way, is the rodeo name for Madison Bumgarner, which is just a really funny story. Yeah, he participated in a rodeo. He has been under that pseudonym for people who've been living under a rock and don't get their baseball information from anywhere but us. Okay. You know, Justin Verlander threw like 250 innings or something like that last year, including the Mm -hmm. postseason. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. It's four years in a row, over 220 innings, over 227 innings to be exact. And yeah, it's amazing that he's able to do it. It's because the Astros have weaponized spin rate, according to Trevor Bauer. Another guy we didn't talk about. All of that tomorrow on Fantasy Baseball Today. For Scott and Chris, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you then. Hey, everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger, And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.